Welcome back to Timeless Mindset. In this episode, we are joined by Tale Williams. She's only 23 and already she studied at university, an author, documentary maker, and has done great work in the education space. More importantly, she's a very kind and genuine human being, as well as very courageous as she takes big life risks, which I have a huge respect for. She already has such a great mindset at such a young age. We get into her book, Realizing Dreams, which was such a great read and includes a 12-step process to realizing your dreams. In this episode, we go over the first four steps, which include being yourself, daring to dream, setting goals, and being courageous. I love this chat, and I can't wait for you to listen. Let's get into it. I thought the green meant, I thought the green meant record. <laughs> so I, I thought, yeah, Isn't you it funny, it? though, how I said... I said, imagine, imagine you, you didn't record. record. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the first time I've ever done that. You're kidding. But it's the first time I've ever said that. Yeah. That's funny. There's something powerful in that, isn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. That's really sad. <laughs> oh, my God, you noticed. you got to practice, run. <laughs> Welcome back to Timeless Mindset. I'm joined by Tale Williams. Thanks for coming <laughs> on. <laughs> and has. thanks, Jack, for coming back. Yeah, look, I'm living here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take two. So what inspired you to write a book? Writing a book was definitely the last thing on my radar going through uni. Like even in school, I was big into performing arts. I was a dancer, singer, like big into musical theatre. And then I came out of uni and obviously went through the process of, of for auditioning for all these like performing arts universities, you know, and I was just rejected from every single one of them. And in that moment when I had to like choose what my plan B was, I had no plan B because performing arts is all I wanted and I had so many expectations and I felt like I had so many people looking at me for what to do next and in the spur of the moment I chose to study political science and Spanish at university and that was just probably one of the worst decisions in my life. It had nothing to do with what I had done in high school. I was for the first year and a half of my degree I'd say I was just completely lost. I was completely miserable. I wanted nothing to do with politics I was barely passing Spanish and then when I started to talk about this experience that I had like with my friends and this friend who I wrote the book with we shared this very similar experience of coming out of high school with all these expectations on us and just crumbling under them essentially and not knowing how to take those next steps and figure out what you actually want to do so that's kind of where the idea of Realising Dreams was born for me in particular was putting the tools together for people to find those next steps and find those dreams that are genuinely meaningful for them and dreams that they genuinely want to pursue in life. Why did you feel the pressure to have it all figured out at such a young age? At such a young age, you know, being in high school, being in university, we have these expectations from like our friends and our family and these like cast castings if you will of like the person you are so in school I was obviously very involved in performing arts I academically did quite well and so I was cast as this person who was very successful very driven very motivated and all of a sudden when I failed to get into these performing arts universities I had nothing I essentially I did not know who I was without that identity and that's where the drift really happened and I had a cousin at the time who did really well academically in school and that gave her this big path straight into university and everyone was looking at her and then everyone turned to me and was like 
what's Tyler going to do? And my family in particular and people around me as well like had these traditional paths and expectations in mind that I just pushed myself down because I did not know what else to do in that moment really. When you lose your sort of identity and all those things that sort of people pigeonhole you into, sometimes you can go into a bit of a low, you sort of don't know who you are and your place in the world. Did you sort of go through that? Absolutely, I went through a low. Like when you lose your identity or you accept the fact that who you were as an 18-year-old is not who you are now as a 19, 20, 21-year-old, whatever, it is very scary and it is very hard to accept that you are changing and growing, even though in hindsight it obviously is for the better. But until you find that identity, it is scary. And for me in particular, that time in my life at the start of my degree where I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what I wanted to be, that was a really low time. Like I was just floating around between friends because I didn't know who I wanted to be friends with. I didn't really try and do anything because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just... I lost who I was as a person coming from high school where I was doing everything that I loved and coming into university where I just did nothing because I did not know who I was what or what I could be as a person. Did you have anyone to talk about these things or did you feel like you had to figure everything out yourself? There was definitely the pressure that I put on myself to have this all figured out by myself because you look around at all these people and all of my friends at the time, they were all happy, happy as Larry doing everything that they wanted, essentially. You know, I had people in nursing, absolutely loving nursing. I had people in teaching, like, absolutely loving their degrees. I had people who I would hang out at lunchtime doing their law degrees or something, and they were thriving. And I would sit there and be like, oh, yeah, 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 like, I love political science. I love Asian studies. And then i get into my car at the end of the day and be like, oh, my God. What if everyone was doing uh, that? I was just about so to say I, that. It's interesting you say that because I reckon there would have been a lot of people that were thinking the exact same thing you were thinking. Absolutely. And some of them yeah. just pretend that they're liking it so, yeah. you know, yeah. it's secure and We safe. all put these, like, facades and these masks up, of, especially in, like, coming out in that, like, 19, 20-year-old age, like, the facade that we're all happy. But in reality, if someone, in hindsight, if I said, hey, I'm actually, like, I've got no idea what I want to do, I feel like that would have changed so many things and had so many more conversations. Yeah, 100%. How it do just we takes one person. Yeah, how do we initiate that? Do we just need someone to be that lone soldier and be courage. courageous to say courageous. how they're truly feeling? Because every so often you do run on along to those people and my friend who I wrote this book with is definitely one of those people who had the courage very early on to do what he wanted to do. And every so often when you run into those people, you look at them and you just go, oh my God, like I wish I could be like them. Like, I could never do that. He's found what he wants to do. She's found like this passion that's going to drive like – everything in life for her and but I can never do that because I'm in a degree that I don't like and I'm gonna have to get a job that I don't like when in reality that's not true you know when I started hanging out with him more and we had more conversations about this like I slowly came to this realization that hang on maybe I could try something else you know maybe I could go after these trends that I'd put by the wayside because I just didn't think I was capable of them at at all really so it really only takes one person and I think and I wish more people would have the courage to step out and do those brave things because I think youth now would benefit so much from it. Why would we keep doing things we don't like? Is it, for you personally, did you feel like you were disappointing people close to you if you didn't keep going down the route that they thought you should go down? There was definitely an element of the fear of disappointment and... Was it the uncertainty also of like, I don't, like, there's nothing to pull me. Like, I don't actually know what I want anyway. So it's like... 
for me, like sometimes I get pulled by the idea of who I want to be because I have clarity on wh- who I want to be. But if you don't have anything to pull you, like you're sort of stuck and then you just get pulled back to yeah, by what you, you know. You kind of like, yeah, drift a bit. And I think I was drifting a lot as well because the only other thing I wanted was performing arts. And obviously that had been like taken away from me quite bluntly and I was too afraid to try again. So it was either this path that... I hated or performing arts which is impossible and I would have had to start again from zero I didn't know or didn't know how to start trying to figure out what else I could do rather than like these two like polar opposite paths essentially how many times did you keep trying to pursue um the performing arts dream or was it sort of like didn't get accepted it was a one and done kind yeah, of deal. Okay. Yeah, I auditioned for WAPA and VCA, which was a very full-on process. Like even after my ATAR exams in year 12, I was back at school rehearsing with my drama teacher every day. I flew over to Melbourne for a few weeks, put myself through the process and was just like, yeah. yeah okay. In hindsight, if I, again, I think my confidence and my identity was just so shattered in that moment, I wasn't brave enough to, you know, like going to drama and dance classes again and try again at the end of that year, even for a diploma or something. But in that moment, it was, yeah, the one and done deal. And I, and I would just look at people doing performing arts and be like, damn, that's never going to be me. Are you so, st- do you still want to go back to do that? Like, There's always elements. Every time I watch a show or have anything to do with performing arts, or a part of, I think performing arts will always be a part of my life as it is. Like I have such a deep love for it and some of my greatest mentors are in the performing arts field, like my dance and drama teacher from high school, I just adore to death and they're always going to be a part of my life. I don't think I would ever go back to it completely, but I think it will always be a part of my life. Like I do dance classes now, like that's something I would never have done a few years ago because I would have been like, no, I'm not good enough. I haven't done this in so long. But now I'm like, no, like I love it and it's okay for me to still have it a part of my life, even if it isn't my main like career or pursuit that I'm trying to aim for. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people who early on in their childhood, there was a lot of pressure on them to do something, whether it was sport, and then they withdraw themselves from that sport. It's very difficult to go back into it without the habit because it's a habit to you know be stressed in that environment because you feel like there's this pressure on you. Although it's not, you could go back and it can be saying you do for um, as a passion and for love, but you're just so used to going to those environments and feeling stressed, it's almost hard to detach from that. Absolutely. I think when you come from an environment where you're training this at an elite level, essentially putting every spare hour into this as a kid and going away from that and trying to come back to it at a more moderate, casual level, it's a very hard compromise to accept, but it is a very worthwhile journey to get there because it was a part of like the biggest years of your life. It it did play a role in shaping who you are as a person. Like so many lessons I gained from performing arts I put in my book because like my teachers and my mentors throughout that time taught me so much so I think it is a very like it is a catch-22 of like only knowing how to train at the elite level but also appreciating that you can still have it as a casual like social element a part of your life. I feel like there's a lot of beauty in having the balance of it but like a lot of people who make big decisions in life are almost like it's just easier to like run away from it, even though there's so much good in something. If it's like something negative in the thing, we, we run away from it and we just like close that chapter, even though th- there's a way to recapture the, the beauty and the essence of that relationship you have with that passion. 
it's sometimes we just close that off because of the negatives and we don't have the courage to explore how we can recapture what it was. Absolutely. You know, if I, I just said that, I, after my two auditions at the start of university, it was a one and done deal. I didn't go back to it because I just, I felt that I had to cut it off at the knees and never go back to it again because clearly the universe was telling me I wasn't made for it or whatever. But when you have the courage to go back to it, because of course it's a failure and failure is, you know, it hurts, but the quicker you can come back from it and see what you learned from it and bring and try again in a different way or a different format, that's going to teach you so much than cutting it off and absolutely never try it again. Like I, I played my documentary today for like my old school and one of the quotes was like, of like fear and acts of regret often happen. I'm going to probably butcher what he actually said, but it was like regret is acts of omission and not commission. You're not going to regret trying. Was that in your book? I don't know if it was in my book, but it was Jeff Bezos it. in my documentary. Yeah, I remember it in oh. the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of the book, I'm excited. We'll get through this book because I feel like we'll go through the steps and we'll continue this conversation. Um, so how did you structure this book? So you've got 12 steps to realising your dreams, but how did you sort of come up with that? Absolutely. So when we started writing the book, it was a full 18-month process, including the book and the documentary, but... From day one, obviously, like we had little to no writing experience. The only kind of experience we had was, you know, talking about ourselves and our lives and, ex- and our experiences. So that's where we started. We spent probably a good chunk of time just sitting on a Word document and putting every story we could possibly think of about our past and anything to do in terms of like our school experiences, our university experiences, you know, choosing what to do in life, anything to do with that. It went on the page and slowly but surely when we went back and looked at the stories that both of us had written independently, we actually were able to match up themes between them. So we both had stories about how we like broke away from friend groups that were making us like fit in into friends that actually supported us as like being our unique selves or there was times that we both had to like set goals to achieve like the things that we wanted to go after or you know, times where in life where it did get hard and we had to be resilient and slowly but surely we picked out these themes and whilst the names changed, like the content of our stories was then enough to go and look at content online and stuff and what other people have been saying about it and other, you know, even celebrities and their experiences in these areas and slowly but surely these themes came together and it was a matter of sitting and being like, okay, but do you need to be resilient before you can be you know, actually starting on the goal or do you need like to have people along for the ride before you can, I don't know, be accountable to yourself. And it was a matter of just playing with what felt right, what felt natural and eventually we landed on our 12-step structure. Do you feel like that's the best way or do you feel like it's the only way or the most common way? Or I, d- I definitely don't want to say it's the best way. I think chasing dreams is a very unique process for every individual and if I just on top of a mountain and said this is how you're going to reach all your dreams I don't think it would work for everyone honestly but I think if we had to apply a common denominator this sort of resource is the best way to get started and something we actually say at the beginning of the book is that not every principle not every story is going to apply to your life so take what does have an impact on you and you do resonate with and apply that to your life and that will make the difference. Before we get into those steps what 
what's the biggest thing you've learned from before you started researching all this stuff online? What what did you sort of uncover as you started to read into all these famous people, looked at all these quotes and all these sort of stuff that you did? What is sort of the main thing that you learnt from that single process of like research? The main thing I've definitely taken away from and definitely has shaped how I am as an individual today is that growth happens outside of your comfort zone and I think that's helped me a lot with everything that's happened in my life over the past few years but I am now not afraid to take risks and put myself out there and try new things with the possibility of failure because when I do try these new things or I do you know put myself on the line or run a really big like program with my job for example you know when you push yourself out of your comfort zone, you're only going to get better as an individual. And I think that's that's something I try to live by every day. Yeah, love that. Step one, be yourself. Now, the message we see on social media all the time, be yourself, be yourself. What does it look like to you? Be yourself. It's, it's so hard to encapsulate. And I was even trying to bring this theme into year sevens today, you know, who are 12 years old and are on the precipice of, you know, high school where you have to follow trends and you have to, there's so much pressure to look cool and fit in with the popular group. And I was sitting there and I was going, how do we encapsulate like being yourself and not fitting in or being okay with the fact that at times you are going to like try and fit in and you are going to follow the majority but it's being able to accept that and pull yourself out of it. And I think for me, it took a very long time to figure out who I am as a person. And I think I'm very much still on that journey. But for me, I'd say being myself is when I don't have to worry about what other people are thinking of me. I've had a lot of transition, I'd say, especially over the back half of these six months when I moved back from Melbourne and so much over the past few years where I'd have an interaction with an individual and I would leave it and I'd be like, oh God, like, was that weird? Like, should I have said that? How I would overthink it. I would pick it apart. And now I spend my time with a lot of individuals who I can leave and I I don't give a second thought to our interactions at all because... I can be authentically myself, I am calm, I am relaxed, I am not afraid to try new things because I know I have this big support network that I can be my calmest and most relaxed self around. Do you reckon that was a bit of a a step process because you said being yourself is when you don't worry about what other people are thinking of you but I think first you need to do things even when you are worried about what people are thinking of you because I feel like it's too hard to go from doing what you want to do to doing what you want to do and not worrying about what people think of you. Did you sort of learn to try just being yourself, being yourself? Like, you, Did you have that sort of those thoughts about what other people are thinking and did you keep trying to do what you wanted to do and did those those thoughts sort of turn down, dial down over time? Is that how it worked for you? Absolutely. Um, I think... On that, the thought that just sprung to my mind is that when we first started writing this book, we didn't tell a soul. Like, absolutely no one knew we were writing the book. Probably for majority of the five of the six months that we had that first draft going. And that was that was a decision that we made because we didn't want to hear about what anyone else thought because that's when, you know, the thoughts start playing in your mind and you start going, oh, like, 
what are they going to do? Like, and then we started making the documentary, which is even more audacious because you need to buy all this like very expensive camera equipment. You need over 50 like interviewees and you are dedicating a lot of time to putting these interviews together, editing them and so on and so forth. So naturally we did have to start telling people and I think the light bulb moment happened for me then because when I did have to say, oh, we're making a documentary, there was no like documentary what why you do politics like my best friend he does engineering like there was nothing of that it was like oh cool yeah like I'm, I'm afraid come down I'll interview like there was none of that whatsoever and I think that started this process for me of being like okay if I can be myself I shouldn't have to be doubting what other people are thinking of me and I shouldn't have to be like afraid or hide what I'm doing or what I want to be doing because when I am myself no one questions it and so from there it was still very much process but that was definitely the light bulb moment so is being yourself realizing when you're not yourself to find who you actually are absolutely I think I don't want to encourage people to wait for you know like big light bulb moments in their life because sometimes they just don't happen but sometimes it can just take a moment of sitting with yourself and with your thoughts and being like okay am I genuinely like happy right now? Am I genuinely doing what is going to be like make me the most like authentic like person or like the good, the best friend that I can be, the best like sibling, like partner, whatever it may be. Like having just that internal reflection of being like, is this who I want to be? I think is such a great way to start and it's a never ending journey, but when you can encourage those thoughts and those like discussions internally or with other people is when you're going to see start to see the difference. Yeah. For me, I was on this whole journey. What inspired me was to recapture the freedom I had. And as a kid, when I was playing around the footy in the house, like not thinking about other people, not thinking about anything, being just at one with myself and just immersed in my head um just with play and and it was so fun and I feel like for me that I'm trying to recapture that inner peace because in that moment like you're not worried about external things it's so internal um so for me that's like part of my journey is like recapturing what I had when I was younger which seems a bit counterintuitive but um I was listening to a podcast today and it was talking about how to be yourself and authenticity and similar to what Jack was saying it's like to, I feel like you are yourself and then you go into, let's say you came into this room today and then you changed who you were. That's when I think you shouldn't come into this room thinking be yourself, be yourself because I feel like what you do is you should just, just walk in and then when you start to, if it takes a bit of self-awareness, but start to think, okay, notice when you start to change what you'd say or do based on the situation you're in and then start to ask yourself like what impact does this have on me? Like what, what does this feel like to change and mold who I am right now in this situation? And then the next question to ask yourself is what beliefs do I currently hold that make me be this way? There's often some limiting belief that you're holding right then that is making you act like that. And I feel like if you can uncover that, that's the key to finding your authenticity. Absolutely. I think, yeah, absolutely what you said. And I think if you leave an interaction and you feel drained or miserable or just unhappy that's the moment where you're being like why is that making me drained why did I put on that facade just then whereas 
if I take my afternoon, for example, you know, running this session with 197s, I was on an absolute high this afternoon. I loved it. And I can guarantee I'm going to leave this room and just be like, hell yeah, like I just did my first podcast. Like this is epic. You know, like that's when I know that I am living in alignment with who I am versus in moments when I do leave situations feeling drained or feeling unhappy or moody or whatever. That's when I have to, that's when I sit myself and be like, okay, why was that? What did you do in that scenario that made you put on a facade or made you dial back who you are as an individual so that you can change it going forward? Mm. So does this podcast pass the Saturday night standard? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what that is. I like it. The Saturday night standard. Oh, goodness me. If I remember correctly, the Saturday night standard is we, in the book, we get you to picture yourself on a Saturday night. And, you know, Saturday night's a very stereotypical for the party nights, you know, the catching up with friends, the the fun, relaxing night offs from your nine to fives or whatever you may spend your weekdays doing. But on the Saturday night, you're at home and we ask you to think about what you're do you're doing during your week and whether that's working a nine to five office job or whether that's doing your university degree anything and we ask you to picture this Saturday night it's peaceful it's calm you're at home and you have to do this while everyone else is out partying having the time of their lives in that moment you're by yourself you're working on your job your degree whatever it may be Are you miserable? Are you wanting to ditch it all and go out and have fun? Or are you happy and in complete bliss? If you're unhappy, if you're miserable and wanting to leave it all, that's the sign that the things you do on a day-to-day basis may not be fulfilling you and may, may not be living up to your most authentic self. And for some, what we say in the book is like that could be not a personal attack on you by any means but more of a wake-up call and being like okay there are parts of my life that are not completely fulfilling me and this could be the process of starting to change that if you fulfill the Saturday night standard for all of the like options that's awesome how can you create more ways to fulfill your most authentic self yeah I feel like for a lot of people the problem is that they think the ends justify the means. They think the fact that they're going through life and it's okay and they feel good sometimes. They think that the means is their boring nine-to-five work. You know, even if you have a boring nine-to-five work and it's full of, you know, mundane moments and there's a lot of – I think when we have those, you know, positive experiences in our lives, we often justify as to why we have to go through that mundane existence to – for that enjoyment so we so we work 40 hours a week doing something we don't like and then we justify that because we have that temporary moment that temporary high that temporary feeling of satisfaction instead of you know what there actually can be that more middle ground where I actually love what I'm doing and this is a passion of mine it doesn't always have to be so uncomfortable no not at all and I think you know um someone we interviewed for the documentary I had a multiple conversations with him but something that he said that always stuck with me is that so many people will get caught up working for five days to only live for two of them and I think why can't people live for more we are all on this planet for a very short amount of time and if we can find a way to live our life to the fullest that is when we are going to gain so much more Mm. 
Yeah, in the end, does it really matter? Like, well, I don't know why we we always justify. We always you can always find a way to justify what you're doing. Absolutely, uh, it takes a lot of courage to to ask yourself those questions. But on the other side of those is just a way a way better life. Absolutely, they're, they're hard questions. It's a very hard position to put yourself in and be like, I am miserable. This is not fulfilling me. This is not. Yes, it's paying my bills and fulfilling my financial goals or whatever it may be, but is that worth it? That's a very hard question to ask yourself, but it can be perhaps one of the most rewarding questions you ask yourself as well. How is this received from older people? Because you're young, you haven't, you know, you, you haven't had a job for ten plus years, you haven't had a family, you know, you're in it. This is a saying I question myself when I'm doing this stuff. It's like your life in ex- experience is low. You're giving advice almost like wisdom. So like so how how do you feel making this? Um and then how do people receive it who are older? Um and then yeah, I have another really good question, but answer yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. Um the documentary itself, just on that, um when we premiered it at our local cinema, I had over three hundred guests there. Obviously it was intended for this, you know, young 20s age bracket but afterwards we just had everyone coming up to us like from teenagers to you know all of our like parents age and older and they one comment in particular always stuck with me where this like man came up to me and was like like thank you this is going to change the way I parent and I was like sorry (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) like the how (laughs) I'm like at the time I was 21 like how is something I made when I was 21 going to change the way this like middle-aged man is going to parent his children and then I think about the sales of the book and I have like one my one of my best friend's dad has just been like our biggest cheerleader of the book itself he just every time I see him he's like Tali like this is such a valuable resource because it breaks everything down in such a palatable way and this man I kid you not is buying these books in bulk in like 30 at a time and he's handing them out to every person he comes across and not just children as well like anyone who sort of mentions that they're in a bit of a crossroads and something like that I know an absolute legend and even at his birthday he whipped out a book and all of his daughters were like dad put it away (laughs) but he just loves it so we definitely didn't intend per se, for it to, like, extend beyond our age bracket, but I'm very glad it did. Do you think foresight's more important? Then there's a great quote from, don't remember who, but he talks about foresight being important because we're all like, oh, hindsight. Like, it's every, every the perfect solution exists in hindsight. But isn't foresight better to have these conversations now? This is, like, a, a reason why I have this podcast. Find out some of the answers now, have the conversations now so that we're not having them in 30 years and we have all this regret. Absolutely, because, you know, I throw around um, that Steve Jobs quote, you know, you can only connect the dots looking back. And I think that's great. I think that's very valuable and it's something I live by. But it does always bother me when I'm like, why do I have to wait for these things to happen in my life to know what I'm gaining from them or to figure out what I have gained from them? Like, why can't more people start to act in the moment and figure out what they want to learn and want to achieve so that when they do try this experience, whatever, that they gain even more from it because they already set out with the intention of learning something, but then they also learn something from the experience itself and they've just gained double compared to someone who only looks back in hindsight. Mm. How do we dream big? Step two. Oh, dreams. 
dreams are again like these are such broad themes in the book um dreams again what's, what, what's your dream my dream right now <sighs> do you want to know my dream yeah what's i your told dream? jack this the other day yeah it's to be myself truly yeah. Like truly, not just like, oh, I'm that. being myself. It's like every moment, every situation, no matter the external, no matter what's happening in the world, I can be who I actually want to be. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Do you know like 80% of people didn't have dreams or goals? Really? Something like that. Yeah, 80, 80? 83% of 80%. people don't have goals. And how's this? Only 3% of the people have written goals. I remember that one of your podcasts when you were reading out the stats and I was yeah. like, oh my God. It's so unbelievable. When I heard that, I just, I don't know, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we spend all this time doing things for other people, but we don't ever take the time to think about, you know, our future, what we, what want. we want. Yeah. Because I think people forget as well is that when you are fulfilled, that makes you a much better person for the people around you. Mm. Biggest thing well. I've learned, 100%. And that's same for like, interpersonal relationships like oh if you don't feel when i feel better about myself i have more to give absolutely and then Mm -hmm. if more people have more to give you know more people it's a ripple effect it's huge yeah and i I think people like i'll just notice when i'm in a really positive mood feeling good about myself how much nicer i am to people Mm. strangers and this is Mm. just honest like brutal Mm self-reflection but like when i'm feeling overthinking saying a bit stressed i'll go internal and i won't um, be as polite like i'm not going to be rude but i go internal no you don't give out as much positivity as you would and mm. i think that's why people think you know everyone thinks people are you know um rude or mm, yeah. miserable but i think everyone um a lot of people are just unhappy yeah and it's mm. just, that's just the root cause of mm. our society's problems mm. and everyone's like oh like every str- like we think most people are like are judging us and explain that phenomenon that we talked about before from tiktok oh. this is a <laughs> it was about how we worry about what people think of us yeah, yeah, yeah. um and how we are so scared of what people are thinking of us and like how, no why they're judging us but he inverted that it, it's mm. and then pretty much if you're having all these thoughts you're actually judging them Mm. By thinking that they're having these thoughts, negative thoughts about yeah, you. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> you're about what they're thinking. Which, yeah, yeah really, I don't know, sparks something in my my mind because... You're being a hypocrite. I, I do that. You're being a hypocrite. Correct. And exactly. I do that so often. Mm. Um, especially, like when you're on social media, you're always like, you're always getting yeah, yeah, these yeah. sort of negative things. And yeah, it's sort of just, I don't know, gobsmacked. Yeah, that's really put me going, mm. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm trying to change some of my behavior now. Yeah. Like, so yeah. now he just thinks... Well, he, he was talking about just everything. Everything's positive until you have evidence of it not being. Because you can't lose in that method. Like yeah. I feel like we we go off on the wrong foot. You know what I mean? Like why? It's better to think positively in other people, mm. and then when they show us otherwise, then change your behaviour. Not mm. wait for them to do something, something good wrong. because then it's a lot of people just like you just waiting around. Like mm. oh, I'm not going to be nice until you're nice to me. Mm. What about we just expect that people are Why nice? Why don't you just give the positivity first? Exactly. Than and then if... Yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah, a wa- it's easier though. I've, we've spoken about this before. It's easier to be negative. Yeah. Mm, and, and assume the worst. Yeah. 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 But like then, then you bring it back to like... Like if I'm a woman walking down a street mm. and like you have every right to be scared um, in the dark and you see a man coming up to you or whatever. But then he doesn't. And yeah. then it's like, well... F- yeah, where, you just put that judgment on them. But, where, but, where, but then, then the there's, but then you've got evidence of it happening to people. Yeah. So it's like, 
I think it's context. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Context, and yeah, we're, we need to be smart enough to understand that. <laughs> Do you think we're too stimulated to think about this stuff? Like having these conversations. I feel like the reason we don't have them is there's just too much noise. There's too much, I've got to do this, i got that, got my phone to swipe, got that to do. Like people don't sit with their thoughts enough and reflect and think, okay, what has happened to me in my past? Why am I the way I am? What do I want out of life? I have these conversations, but I actually don't think many people do. No, I don't think so either. And I think it's something um, Simon Sinek calls the millennial problem where um, we are bombarded with information every single day you know if we want to like order something online we can get it you know express shipping the next day if we don't want to cook and we can order uber eats and get it delivered to our door we can have everything we want in an instant and we're we're accustomed to that we've grown up with that we've grown up with that evolution of technology and that's become a daily part of our lives but when it comes to the two things that actually matter you know like our dreams and love they are the two things you cannot order to your doorstep. And then it becomes this conflict because we don't know how to wait and we don't know how to process and sit with ourselves and figure those two things out. And that's the the complex that occurs because we want everything in an instant, but the things that matter most are the things we can't have. Mm, so life's away. become too easy, you say? In an instant, like, yeah. Like for us to get things, it's become so easy that now when something seems hard or unachievable we just don't we don't even we don't give bother. it a, a try we yeah. don't know how to from my personal experience i've spoken about this but i had incredibly um lucky and fortunate upbringing where i was given what i wanted but there is a downside to being given everything you wanted whenever you want it it's that you don't understand like patience and the value of like working hard and being intentional and delaying reward yeah um so that's like the downside of that and i feel like yeah, people don't understand because there's so much choice as well. There's so much choice. Uh, there's so much out there, but the truly valuable things are internal and take time, but we can distract ourselves with this quick temporary high. Yeah, the, you know, yeah it's a quick, you know, um, I've forgotten the word for it now, but it's that, yeah, it's that quick high. It's that yeah. quick, you know, like... Dopamine hit. Dopamine like, hit. There yeah. we go. It's a, it's a dopamine hit. We're so accustomed to those short-term dopamine hits. We don't know how to delay that gratification anymore. And that gratification comes from being able to slow down, being able to put your phone down or sit with a journal for five minutes and actually dissect what's going on in your day-to-day life. It's because people stay on autopilot because it's safe, it's easy, it's comfortable. You don't have to think too hard. Mm. Even, I've spoken about this recently, but like even if something isn't serving you, like you're doing things like a job you hate, things that are making you miserable, it's still predictable to you. It's still like certainty and as humans that's what we crave we just because mm. even if you're doing a nine-to-five job you hate at least at the core of it you're safe yeah like you're a safe human you're not going to get and at the core of us i think there's this drive to be safe mm. and not die mm. <laughs> so when we do uncertain things there's that that fear signal yeah, that just goes up that kicks in. exactly so i think we're just not courageous enough to you know explore the uncharted waters so we just go back to this habit of being ourselves and our identity. Because like I said, there's so much of our identity um, is external. So it's we just have the habit of continuing to do the same things that we think we are, but we're so much more than those external things. Absolutely. And we're just addicted to the certainty. We're addicted mm-hmm. to certainty, so we just keep doing all those things that reaffirm who we are. Yeah. Because like you said, when you went through that phase of I, you didn't know who you were, 
so much uncertainty. Who wants to no, who wants to sit with that? Because as a human, at the core of you, like you want you to want know to be who you are. You want to be like comfortable and feel safe and secure. That's you know like basic human needs. And when you don't have that, and when it's ripped away from you, it's scary. And people, I think our age bracket is in such a prime position to, you know, experiment with that and pull yourself up on, okay, am I just drifting? Am I just, you know, on autopilot? Because when you can pull yourself up on that and experiment experiment with it, yeah, you just won't look back. You talked about um, uncharted waters, like how there's so much uncharted waters or whatever, but there's never been more pathways ever, like... And right now, there are so many pathways to all these different sort of careers or mm. dreams, whatever you want to do. Paradox of choice then? Too many solutions? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, the paradox of choice. Like ma- even back in the day when you had just had to work a nine-to-five job, come mm. home to your wife, you didn't have your phone, you'd go on your phone all day, you just did your job, came home. Like there isn't much – there wasn't as much choice in entrepreneurship. So was satisfaction higher? Although – you probably don't get to express yourself as much and there's not as much self-expression. We live in the perfect age to be yourself, for self-expression. Yet we're probably in the the age where we're least able to do it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like social change takes a lot of years, a lot of decades. In 30 Mm -hmm. years' time, you know, we're going to be pioneering like this change. But, you know, it takes a long time for society to catch up to these conversations. Mm -hmm. I sort of thought about dreams. Do a lot of people like keeping dreams as dreams because it's it's it stays like as this positive, nice thing to think about and then if you keep it there, then you don't have the uncertainty of you might actually not like it if you issue it. It's a safety blanket. Oh, definitely. It's I think it's very comfortable to be like, oh, yeah, I'm working this, you know, I don't really enjoy it, but I want to do this. Yeah, I'd love one to be a day. pilot. Like, one day. And you just keep that dream yeah. there and it's just... Mm. The one-day myth, yeah. The one-day myth, you know, you're going to start one day. And when yeah. people say that to me, I'm like, when, you know? <laughs> When's the best time to start? Now. Mm. 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 100%. Are we taking advice on this topic? Are we taking advice from this stuff from the wrong people? Because Jack and I believe there's a survivorship bias. We only hear from the people giving advice. And I want to know your take on this. Like, from the, we only hear from the successful ones saying, chase your dreams, chase your dreams. But... I think a lot of people try hard for a long time and don't get it. Do you think there's almost this obsession on social media to follow these like really externally successful people with money and reputation and viewership on social media, but are they the right people to go to? Obviously, when you look at the people online, everything that they are projecting out there is a highlight reel and if you can't remember that you're doing yourself a disservice because you don't see what happens behind closed doors you you the way influencers work is content creation is so highly crafted and it's so highly planned in advance you have no idea and no insight into what their real life is like but with that being said perhaps they do share similar goals and dreams that you are aspiring to but I think even taking it a step back, it comes back to that sense of being yourself and being your authentic self because you're never going to be happy with external gratification until you're happy with who you are as an individual, like hands down. Because, you know, you can be chasing, you know, 
oh, this influencer has like 10K and perhaps one day you reach 10K and then obviously the next goal is going to be get to 20K, get to 50K, whatever it may be. Or perhaps, you know, perhaps the corporate life is your main gig and, you know, you start off as a graduate role and then you get promoted and eventually you want to make partner. You're going to keep chasing and you're never going to be satisfied with those milestones unless you're satisfied with yourself as an individual. I think there's been no bigger gap between who you can be and what it and what it actually takes to get there. Like on social media you can see what it what you could be. Like you see this grand vision of what it could be, but there hasn't been a bigger gap between what that is and, you know, the actual cost and the price tag that it takes to get there. Years and years of dedication, the sacrifices. Do they have a family? Do they even have a life you want? Or is it just this like idea of what people think of them? You know, what is, I think we don't, we don't reflect and say, okay, why do we actually want to be like them? Like, I don't think there's a problem with wanting to be like someone, but if you never question as to why, Mm. and we talk about setting goals in a step three, like I think a lot of us, we set goals and then, you know, later on we realize, you know, they weren't set for the right reasons and foresight is so much better. Yeah. Step three, set goals. Why do you think goals are important? Goals, I mean... As you said before, over 80% of people don't have goals and don't have dreams. And for those 80% of the population, I'm like, wow, like how do you live your life? Because goals personally give me structure. They give me clarity. And as we said, that is a basic human need of clarity. And I get more comfort when I have goals and I know what I want want to reach. And when you set a goal for yourself, I think it's so easy and I think it's why so many people quit as well it's like you set this yourself this goal of perhaps oh I want to I don't even know like you know get first class honours at uni for example that's a goal a hard and fast goal but when you don't reach it or it's a struggle to try and get there it's like okay hands off never doing it again that was a fail never trying goals again goals are and should adapt because as you work on them and as you learn and grow you're changing as an individual as well. So perhaps if you set this goal of, you know, wanting to get first class honours or, you know, wanting to try out a new sport or, you know, swim the rudder swim, I don't know, anything, those goals are allowed to shift and change. And I think that's a, a fact that most people aren't aware of because when things don't go to plan, that's when a lot of people go, hands off, I'm not doing it again. I can't. I clearly failed at that goal. It's like, okay but maybe you just need to pivot and look at it from a different angle. Mm. Or maybe it's like, you know, we had this first book draft of the book, but then we pivoted and said, okay, let's do the documentary now. And looking back when you saw, when we saw this first book, it's like, okay, we have a book, but we're going to pivot now and make it different. And, you know, ourselves a year ago would have been like, what? Like, no, this is great, but goals should change. And they give clarity and they give guidance to who you are as an individual as well. Yeah, I like that word pivot. Good. It's very interesting you say that because I'm looking at it from the other side of things and going, so if you ha- so if I have this goal, then it's okay if I don't fa- if I fail, and obviously failure is okay. But then you can go, I can just take it back a step. Like we're doing ice baths every morning. If we said, oh, three minutes is hard. Let's just take it back to a minute. I don't know. To me, for myself, I just feel like that <laughs> i don't know how to explain it i just it would feel like a failure to me it yeah how do we balance doing the things we s- we say we're going to do at a point in time but 
adapting to our changes in ourself along the journey. Like we, at one point in time, we set a goal. I, I'm going to do an ice bath every morning, three minutes, non-negotiable. And then in a month's time, I've done 30 days in a row and I realize actually it's not really, I'm about to go away for a week and there's going to be no ice baths. I'm not going to be able to do it. It's going to be such an inconvenience to do ice bath. Like, can I pivot? Can I change? Can I compromise that? Or am I lying to myself? Like, how do we not, how do we say we're going to do something and commit to it versus being adaptable to life's changes and, you know, changes in who we are? We might change our values. We might change what we're interested in. So how do we adapt? Like you said, we talked about it before, but how do we balance, you know, committing to what we said we're going to do versus changing because we change? I think in response to that, I would say a lot of people will firstly set the goal not have it not go to plan and then quit but I think people will also set a goal of perhaps you know starting to wake up every early every morning and they'll go from waking up at 9am to 5am and that that's a four-hour gap that is a massive jump to make and I wake up at 5am pretty much every morning now and it's it's a habit I've built over time and I think the mistake people make is that they go all in and then they get to this wall where it's, you know, it's the fourth morning of wake up at 5am and they just feel like they wake up and feel like they've been hit by a truck. And that's when the failure occurs. So I think it's about, you know, taking those slow steps and, you know, starting with ice baths, for example, like you want to have an ice bath every morning and perhaps in that first week you do like a minute. We and did then it warmer. We did it warmer, for example. Yeah. Yeah. You have that warmer temperature and then the next week you do it like slightly colder and colder until the final week you're at that temperature and that time that you set for yourself and by doing that you're easing yourself in you're giving yourself that small dopamine hit of achieving that goal every morning to eventually where you get to this point where this goal is now habit it's now part of who you are as a person and you get that delayed gratification that we talked about where it's now just a part of who you are so is the problem because usually when you're setting goals, you're, you're really vo- motivated that time. Is the problem that we are too motivated that time and we sort of forget that it's going to be hard? So we don't so, make it realistic enough? Yeah. Because, or is, yeah, lack of discipline. I don't know. I, th- I think it's a combination of a lot, but I think, you know, people will have these goals or these plans and they dive all into it. They're so excited, but I think it's you know, because they see all these other people succeeding at the goals and they want to be just like them. Mm. But those people who have succeeded and the ones who are achieving all the goals are the ones who started out slow and the ones who slowly incorporated things into their day-to-day life and and made gradual changes over time. And I think when people realise that is when, you know, you go, okay, maybe I want to start this goal, but, you know, even with me for dance classes, for example, you know, that's putting myself out there. I'm only doing one class a week because I know if I went five times a week, that would really overwhelm me and I would give up because Mm. you have to be able to enjoy the process as well. And if you start this goal and you fail, obviously that is not a dopamine hit and you're more likely to quit. I also feel like it's all about changing your identity and the beliefs about yourself. So Jack and I are not doing ice baths to do ice baths. We're doing it to show and prove to ourselves that we can do hard things (laughs) When we, when we don't actually want to. We can be disciplined. And it's transferable. Those things that we gain from that are transferable. But I think a lot of people become obsessed with the external image of the, of the thing they're doing, but they forget all the things they're building inside of them by chasing the goal. And that's where we get over-obsessed, tunnel vision on, a, on an external goal. But we don't realise 
the things we're building. There's so much more that goes into it rather than the end product. 100%. You need to get through the hard part, the hard um, the hard times as you're going through this goal. Like the push-up one is... Uh, I've oh, only done yeah. 15 today. Fifth, yeah. So, like, at the time, we we're, were very motivated when we we're making this goal. Like, fuck yeah, let's let's yeah, do it. Like, yeah. we'll be we'll be able to do this. And then you sort of get past. I think it's eighteen days. They sort they say like, after two weeks. Yeah, yeah the yeah. cut off of that's when the motivation sort of dies. Um, and then you sort of relying on discipline and and Spurts of motivation. doing the, doing the thing that you said you were going to do at the start, mm. just because you don't feel like it mm. now. 18 days ago, I, I did feel like it. So just because I don't feel like it now, I'm still going to yeah, do it. Still want to do it. It doesn't have to be something physical. It can be whatever your goal is. But yeah. I think it is healthy though. Like for us doing the push-ups, it's not that extreme. Um, I think some people overcommit themselves and they're not kind enough to themselves to say, look, I was a bit ambitious. Let me bring myself in. They'll either go full Monty and they'll, they'll be so hard on themselves and they'll give up and they'll stop doing what they're doing rather than, you know, taking those micro steps, trying to change their identity, like in the atomic habits, actually trying to change who mm. they are mm. and doing it slowly but consistently. Yeah. it's so, People are so extreme and trust me, I'm one of those people. I'm yeah. learning along the way that it doesn't always have to be so extreme mm. and we just give up and I think that's the failure. It's, Absolutely. It's not that you changed. It's not that you redirected, you repurposed. It's that you gave up. It's that you stopped trying and that's like such a disservice. It's what we're talking about essentially and what's in step five of the book. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm. It's where someone starting out on a goal will overestimate their abilities at it because they've seen it online or they've seen other people do it and they think, oh, yeah, that, that person's done it. Surely I can do it. You start it, you try it, and you have this massive confidence crash when um, you don't last as long as you want in the ice bath or you don't wake up at 5 a.m. on that morning. And that is when most people will tend to quit but it's the people who can like reap that discipline and reframe their identity and their mindset and take those even micro steps forward. That's the ones who then they they have the crash, but then slowly but surely they start to pick upwards again, whereas other people will just have the confidence crash and stay there. Yeah. A lot of vulnerability there in that mm. moment at the crash. That's Absolutely. That's where you know who's truly internally strong strong even though even though it might be one of their lowest moments that is when it's honestly probably their best moment their mm. best decisions that true test of their character the mm. one that they'll look back on and go that was yeah that that's, was the that's when they have to dig deep that's when they have to ask themselves do i really want this because it's going to be hard mm. a lot harder than i thought mm. something people probably struggle with these days definitely so you spoke a bit about in here about taking daily action to reach your goals. Do you think that's important, like changing your identity by continually showing up rather than like, you know, like we talked about spurts of motivation and then you give up because you couldn't keep keep this very ridiculously high standard up. I talk about, I think we spoke about it maybe, like moving the needle forward, like what can you do daily? And that's why I like the push-ups, I like the ice baths. It's a little thing daily, but it's just, you know, votes of confidence daily into who you want to be. Absolutely. I think... Daily action is going to look different for everyone, but I think why we put it into the book is to encourage this idea of consistency and whether that's, you know, doing the push-ups you have to do, doing the ice baths. Like for us, it was like writing a certain amount of words or editing for the certain amount of time. Even, you know, perhaps your goal is to edit for half an hour a day or 
run for one hour each day, you know, follow your marathon program or whatever. But you wake up in that morning and you just feel absolutely like rubbish and then like getting out of bed is the last thing you want to do. You want to have a chill day, you want to have a relaxed day. It's on those days when you can still push the needle forward and perhaps only edit for like 15 minutes instead of 30 minutes or go for like a 5K instead of a 10K. It's on those days where you can put that daily action in and move that needle forward that's going to make the biggest difference in your overall journey. Yeah, I do like that. That um also feel like Jack and I from the push-ups just through experience we've learned that like it's such an we make up a number how many we're going to do a day it was mm. like 100 each month and then you add 10 per month so it's 110 this month and we realize that we often just do a little bit more than that so we're just like 140 150 but like we're just it's just a number so like whatever Absolutely. it is it's like we, we hold don't, ourselves still, to these but it's actually not that deep you well, know you're, <laughs> you're still doing the thing doesn't matter how yeah. many or ha- for mm. how long as long as, long as you're as you still do it. doing it yeah mm. and that's the main thing and I, I've been trying to not have blank days like i've had a couple of like 60 days but like mm. those 60 are a lot harder to do the next day yeah absolutely and i've had a few days where i've done nothing and i'm like geez i probably could have just done 50 that's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy to say and just forget about it to be honest. um step four and this will probably be the last step we get into in this one so there's your invite back for another episode oh, yeah. <laughs> um, step four be courageous and you talk about the courage roulette table I want to hear about that, if you remember. The courage roulette table. From memory, courage and failure, I think, go hand in hand. But this example in the book we talk about is, you know, you imagine a roulette table in Vegas, for example, and it's, you know, it's spinning around. It has, you know, all the options on it. And to take a courageous step, to take a leap forward that is going to put you out of your comfort zone, that's going to kick in that fight or flight, fear you take that chance and roll the dice and perhaps it works out for you perhaps you know you get into the new sport team or whatever it may be on this roulette table all of a sudden one of the chunks of it has just sorry i, I don't gamble i don't know any of the terminology but <laughs> that's good, it's good um, but one of it. the um, <laughs> one of the like the slices on the the dial turns green and you know all of a sudden you're like okay here we go like this this actually works out quite well. So it's spinning around and then it comes to the next chance you're to take a leap of faith and you go again. Perhaps it's red, perhaps it was a failure and a step back, but slowly but surely you get more greens and you see that every time you take that step forward, it is so worth it and you get that dopamine hit and you want to go again, but you're not as scared of the failures because every time you get a green and every time you get a success, it makes it that much more worth it. So you think, is this sort of analogy about getting pushed? Oh, sorry, pulled by the idea of something? Because like there's, for me, there's obviously two types of um, drive. There's the the push too, so like pulled by the idea of like of what, what I could be and then there's the push away from, it's like the fear engine. So we've got like a fear of not being good enough which drives us to take action. Mm, so like is, is this sort of analogy of like being courageous are you sort of trying to get people to the the more of the the pull one of like yeah be inspired be be. inspired by what it Mm. could be not like Mm. do it out of fear no um fear is a great motivator but i don't encourage people to live by it because it can leave you in a very negative mindset a lot of the time this analogy was certainly to like have that pull towards because it's all very well and good to have these dreams have these goals but 
and you know talk we're talking about that you know one day mentality but uh, it's pulling people towards the actually getting started you need a lot of courage to get started you need that activation energy to be like okay here we go let's do it mm. and that's what we're trying to pull people towards do you have any techniques to how to be courageous i use just like a five second rule yes. and you know people rephrase it it's like uh, mel robbins i think has a five second rule um we put something in there from we bought a zoo where it's like 20 seconds of courage and you just give yourself 20 seconds to just do it fuck that's too long for me <laughs> <laughs> i know i think 20 seconds is way too long i for give me. myself three seconds yeah and three seconds yeah, yeah absolutely so anytime i have i'm not necessarily related to dreams anything like when i reached out to egan for example it was like i had the thought and i was like okay i'm gonna act on it mm. because Otherwise, it you, it leaves you with the question of what if. Oh no. What if, uh, just two of my least favourite words in the English language, I don't want to be haunted by that forever. And I think that comes back to why I constantly try and live outside my comfort zone because I just can't, I can't live by those words. But what if is regret? Exactly. What if it's regret from not trying, right? So you think, this might be an obvious answer, but you talk about you want to inspire people to be be inspired by the idea of what they could be but you're saying fear the fear yeah, and yeah, the regret is saying. just too powerful and it's just something you still hold as like a reminder to drive your action it mm. still inspires you like it's still the primary thing it's still but are we looking at that as in a, in a too negative way is it there's nothing is there nothing wrong with just being inspired to not have regret or is it not even regret for your eight-year-old self? It's regret for a week's time, a, a day's time. It doesn't even have to be that extreme. Like, mm. You know what I mean? I think that kind of, for me personally, how I live my life is that it's yin, it's yin and yang, right? You can be pulled towards the life that you do want to lead, but it's also when in the moments where you do have regret and you don't try something, it's like, oh, what if I had done that? So it kind of balances each other out in my eyes, I, I think. I like that. Because mm. like I said before, we get seduced by the extremes, like mm. push and pull, but there is a beauty in having a bit of both. Because I think at times, like, you just need that sort of existential drive, that 80-year-old drive, like, yeah. what would I think if I'm 80? But then, yeah. I, like you said, you don't want to get obsessed with thinking mm. of that, but I think it's really good to have different tools to pull at certain times because you're going to need them. I think it's context-dependent as well. Sometimes you are going to need, need that fear of, oh, what if I don't do this? And sometimes you need that of what could be motivation mm. is. So it's a balance. This quote that you put in from Tim Ferriss, and I think Jack is definitely on this train where he said, what we fear doing most is usually what we most need to do. And I feel like we're all like people with who struggle with social anxiety. It's the reason that they don't go in social situations. What's the best way to overcome that? Mm. It's going to social situations. Exposure. Exposure. Mm. So mm. I want to explore this because I feel like the label that we have, we put a lot of labels onto ourselves. I'm not that, so I'm not a morning person. I'm not this. So we define ourselves. We excuse ourselves of ever having to try and be courageous. Um, but what we feel is, you know, often so an indicator that it's something we must be doing. We should do. Mm. I kind of want to throw it to Jack, like, and what how you said that Jack kind of is living that. I want to hear more about that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just sort of what I've been doing for the past five months i think now five i've literally i do an uncomfortable challenge every month um something that i don't want to do mm. um like i sung i sung like and i could piss take and sing like yeah, easily yeah, yeah. but yeah. i i had to try and i sang and i put it on mm. put it on tiktok and it's just yeah that shit scared me but pretty much I, ned brockman does it a lot he's mm. he and his is more to do with running but yeah 
if he has a thought of, I don't want to run 20K today, he goes and runs 20K. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a bit different, but I'm really passionate on the one with people like that have social anxiety. Like, mm. how do you expect to get rid of that? Like, this social anxiety um, label that you give yourself. Like, how do you, if you just keep saying, like, that that's what you are, then fuck, you're just telling, you're just. Um, Reaffirming your yeah, identity. Reaffirming mm. your identity. And it's just, how is that ever going to be good for you? Mm. So I think people need to do more things that they're that fearful of. of. Yeah. Because I think that's how you get outside of your comfort zone that's as well. What it is. That's where everything you're scared of exists outside of your comfort zone. And the second you try something new, your comfort zone gets that much bigger because all of a sudden that new thing is a part of your comfort zone. And the more things you try, the bigger and bigger and bigger it gets. Yeah. And and that's something you can live by eternally. I think there's always new obstacles and new challenges people are going to run into throughout their entire lives that is going to push them outside their comfort zones. You know, I just got back from filming a show in Adelaide for a week and I was the youngest there by a mile, but I was with like mid 50 year olds who had to face their fear of heights for the first time. But I watched people climb up on top of Adelaide Oval, like fear their lives, like being like in tears, but that they were just had the biggest smile on their faces afterwards it, and it was awesome to see because all of a sudden they, they had conquered that fear and I had one of them coming up to me and be like, oh, yeah, like I want to climb Sydney Harbour now. Like I reckon that's going to be awesome. Like I want to do all the ovals in the country and before this she never would have said that, mm. you know, and I think that's so powerful to remember is that when you try those uncomfortable things that you fear, that is going to become part of your daily life. Doesn't that make life fun? Like always having that constant challenge i guess like something that you're not good at you, you're fearful of but you can overcome it's fun to try new things like 99.9 percent mm. of the time you're not gonna die and that's something that i've been telling mm. myself like mm. if i have to fucking do a speech on stage for the first time i'm not gonna die no i'm not gonna yeah, die right? unless you get assassinated <laughs> <laughs> i was just having that thought the background. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i mean like i guess that's using Oh, not really, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I think if everyone could frame it in that sort of way, mm. it'd become a lot mm. easier. Yeah, like even the the heights example, like what we were trying to say to these like women before we climbed on top of Adelaide Oval is that this is like professional safety here. Like you're not, nothing is going to happen to you right now. You are so like hooked up to every possible safety mechanism possible. It's just that barrier in your mind you need to get over now. And it's funny because it's just because it's a little bit different. But if you ask them if they drive every day, they'd mm. say yes. And mm. it's way more dangerous to drive every day than it is to yeah. do what you did. Exactly. You know why? It's because when people drive, they feel in control. Mm. But I feel like examples of like bungee jump, bungee jump, yeah, you feel like mm. you're out of control. Because you've never it, tried it before. That's what it? It, And it's also, I reckon, with social anxiety, like mm. people are like, I know who I am, but I don't know what other people are. I don't know yeah. if I can trust them. Mm. It feels out of their control. Mm. So you've got to find a way to bring it into your control because I feel Absolutely. like that's where you become less yeah. scared. Mm. Is that everything out, out of your comfort zone? It's because you can't control it. That's why you're not comfortable. Yeah. Absolutely. Like yeah. literally everything. You don't I'm know what it's going to be. You don't know what the how it's going to like play out. Play yeah. out. And when you can't everything. have that control... That that's scary and that's uncomfortable and people don't like to feel like that. But God, it's worth it. Oh, yeah. it's so addicting. Fun. Oh yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I feel like when you sort of become okay with that uncertainty, like mm. it's actually become sort of exciting. Like 
Jack and I doing the ice bath, so we're excited for winter when mm. it's going to be when it's going to be so cold. In the it's morning. the weirdest thing. Getting well. up at six, getting up at six, walking down the stairs yeah. to voluntarily mm. in cold do like. And that's what we tell ourselves every morning. When I'm in the ice bath, I'm like, I don't have to do this. I, mm. I don't. I know I don't, but you do. Fuck, it's it's, it's good that it. I don't. It's yeah. good. It's so worth it. Yeah, and I think mm. every, I'd I don't know. I'd tell everyone like do ice baths, not just for the recovery, mm. but. It's that for me, ice bath is like the perfect return on investment. Like mm. you get the health benefit, so mm. reducing inflammation, yeah. improving longevity, soreness, and then you also just get the me- the mental benefit for how short of a time it is. For like you can do it in under ten minutes, the whole thing. Mm. It's probably the perfect. Um, it's a free drug as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's a free drug. You get more yeah. of a dopamine spike than than cocaine, and yeah, how there good? Go. Mm. Yeah, so worth it. And you, uh, you can't die, but you you could on very. So Jack, you want to go? If you did an ice bath in, an, yeah. in Antarctica, We're that's gonna, probably a bad idea. Pim- yeah, I, I yeah. really want to do that. Yeah, we re- like yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. There's obviously <laughs> <laughs> safety requirements, yeah, but mm. as long as it's like you know within constraints, I I want to do it. Hell yeah! But all, all, all possibilities exist outside your comfort zone because if you just keep doing the same thing over and over, which is pretty much within your comfort mm. zone, like. I think you've written your book somewhere about like um, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over. That's what your comfort zone is. Mm. That doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. Mm. But if no. you always do that every moment of the day for your whole life, the possibilities are so limited. Mm. Exactly. You, you don't know what's possible. you're just bouncing around in a box. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. No wonder people say their lives are boring and they don't like their lives. Like You're not challenging yourself. You're not doing different things. You're just... Autopilot, fucking same shit every day. Mm. I was just going to ask you, do you have a um, uncomfortable challenge for me? Because I've done this month. Ooh, I need. I've got next month challenge. What ones have you done so far? Um, so you've, you've saying saying uh, I just pretty much finished whole month sober. Yep. Uh, marathon without training. Oh, you'd like my mate. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, we'll talk about it after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one more. Don't know. The list is going to keep going though, so <laughs> it's just going to add, add on. Try something. Well, obviously you sang, but I reckon it'd be cool to try something you haven't done before, like a sport or any sort what of. What scares thing. you the most right now? Fuck. Uh. I would l- like this is just me being random, but I would love for you to write an article, yeah, and like an uh, what about something in this space? Mm. Because that is so like Jack, you failed English, right? <laughs> and now he has to write an article about Ooh, it. About yeah, that's th- good. that would be yeah. like mm. even if I don't do it as an uncomfortable challenge, even I'll, just, I'll just do it anyway. Do it. You said that, but you're also going to make the video this week. You still owe me. No, that's <laughs> happening. Don't worry. I, that's, I that's challenged planned. him to saying this week and he got me on too, but we still have to do that. No, it's it's coming up when we go down south. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, it's cool. Perfect. All right. We'll wrap it up there, but you'll be back to finish these steps. So that's step one to four to realising your dreams. Absolutely. Thanks Eight, for, thank five to 12 left. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was epic. No worries. Good chat. Thanks, Jack. We're heading to this ice bath. Yeah, let's do it.